I I just saw the cracker of a headline, so if you don't bring it up, then I will. Okay, cool. Great. Can you give me a hint? Space. Space. That's a good hint? Uh yeah. Station? <laughs> Space station? No, okay. No. Oh, okay. I'll see if I'm in, I might mention it, but whatever. I know I just I don't want it to be. I, I've got a good last one, and I don't want okay, to deliver a good last one, and then you fuck it. So I'm going to keep my good last one. Okay. And before I get to the last one, you can go, and then I'll do my last one. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. flag flag your penultimate news story, and I'll jump in. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> right. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. How yeah. you doing, boy? I'm good. Back for feels, another week. Feels very good. Just two fellas casting pod. <laughs> Are you two casting pod <laughs> in there? Are you two casting pod in there? No. No, uh, don't come in. No. Up. Um, I, no, I'm cleaning up. <laughs> Act normal. Act normal. Are you recording pod. a podcast again? No, I'm not. I'm not. I said I wouldn't <laughs> and I'm not. Uh, we're back. Yeah, of course. Welcome to Beef Station. It's our movie podcast where every week we uh, faff about for about <laughs> twenty minutes to half an hour now, and then yeah, much deliver less than a, we used to. <laughs> a, and then deliver a review of a movie of the week. Often it's a new release. Sometimes it's an old one uh, or something weird we found on Netflix. This week it's a reasonably new release. It's one of these films that's been sort of released to streaming services mm. and to on-demand hiring type places because it can't be in theatres. It's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed by a French woman whose name... Céline Chiamma. Happens to be... What? Céline Céline or Céline Chiamma. Chiamma. Yeah. I think it's an Italian last name. Okay, fine. That's why you said it with that lilt. S-C-I-A-M-M-A. That is definitely an Italian name. Yeah. Céline Chiamma. Céline Chiamma. (laughs) Céline Chiamma. Yeah. Very um, good. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the film we're doing. It's a French film uh, directed by Celine Sharma, starring two French women whose names aren't important for yep. the purposes of brevity. Um, we'll introduce them when we come up to it, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll introduce uh, them. But b- b- before that, we'll dive into a bit of uh, a, b- a bit of news. We'll tell you what else we've been up to in our beefness or pleasure segment. Uh, for the moment, should we get going with the news, bruh? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Beef bulletin. All right. Plenty of shit happening this week. First headline. Kate Blanchett in talks to play Lilith in a Borderlands film adaptation. Oh, shit. Okay. What do you think of that? Um. Oh, God. Eli Roth is directing... With Avi and Ari Arad producing through Arad Productions, along with Eric Feig. Eli Roth's an interesting pick for the. So that was that he was the director of. He he's a big horror guy. Directed uh, yeah. Hostel is possibly his most famous film. Um, oh not, yeah yeah yeah. Not his most recent. Yeah. He was also uh, in Inglorious Bastards uh, as one of the one of the American guys that goes after the Nazis. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, he's the he's the guy with the he he plays the guy with the baseball bat. The um, yeah, that's right. So that's weird because for those of you who aren't uh, for our for our uh, few non gamer listeners, um, Borderlands is a shooter game uh, that takes place in like 
basically the American South if the American South were faraway planets in outer space. So it's full of like uh, gun-toting rednecks, but um, has this like space alien type uh, setting to yeah, it as well. Weird. And it's very funny. The first game was especially was really well written and quite witty and clever. Don't well, uh, don't come after me if it hasn't aged well. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I played it when it came out in 2007, and so like I haven't looked back. But uh, the it's writing, hard eyes and gay jokes. Oh yeah, no, I, don't, I think it was actually genuinely like quite witty. And so uh, yeah. Eli Roth, I've never looked at him as a comedy writer, so that's an interesting pick to direct this. Well, it's also it'll be like an action. It'll be like a funny action movie, right? Kind but of thing, n- maybe. not his remit yeah. either. Really, mostly just uh, gory horror. He likes that really, like a yeah. uh, really gory stuff. So yeah, interesting. The current screenplay draft that they've got at the moment is, was written by the dude who won an Emmy for writing Chernobyl, the okay. series. Well. Yeah, so you that's know, been well received. might be okay. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Interesting. Next, next one is a story about how John Wick Four is <laughs> happening, but it's being delayed until twenty twenty two or something. Jesus, because okay. <laughs> because Keanu Reeves has to finish filming The Matrix first. <laughs> oh fuck, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally forgot that there was a fourth one coming out. So he's doing he's doing some like fucking yeah, God, Ma- so Matrix weird. sequel and he's got an, enough of a part that it's clashing with it's it's clashing with that. Right, cuz we don't really know how significant his involvement is either. We don't okay. really know. I mean, it would be insane if he didn't have much involvement at all. Like he would at it least would have some crazy. big scene. Yeah. yeah. Here's my prediction for that movie. Um cuz one of the Wachowskis is back to direct it, right? But not both. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember which. I one. can't remember which one. But, the, but yeah, um, one of them. Yeah, the I predict it is basically it, this is the uh, Star Wars Episode Seven of the Matrix, where it will be a basically virtual remake of the first one with different characters in the same spots doing the same things. Yeah, That's I mean, probably prediction. it'll be like <laughs> it'll be uh, Neo waking people up from the Matrix or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, or, hopefully or not. Like a, Hopefully, it's more interesting. Something out of the Animatrix would be cool. I hope it'd be more like a Rogue One type thing, where right. it's like a like a like a spinoff that's related, and ha- like maybe maybe Keanu is like a simula a simulation of Neo. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, that'd is. be sick. The point is, anyway, John right. Wick Four, John is, Wick delayed. 4 delayed. Okay. is delayed. Uh, an interesting story here about the Oscars to sort of tide us through our sort of mid news slump. Okay, uh, <laughs> is that the Oscars for this year? Because there are... Oh, yeah, there's going to be, like, no films, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, because they're not getting a theatrical run, the Oscars are temporarily allowing streaming, streaming films movies, to be yeah. eligible uh, to be to be eligible for an Oscar in the wake of this whole COVID thing. The caveat is that it's only eligible for films that, were go- that had a planned theatrical release, <laughs> but that was then cancelled. Okay, sure. <laughs> Yeah, so like get fucked. <laughs> All right, <laughs> They're separate but You're equal. Shoot yourselves in the foot and act pious about it. Then mm. fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be tuning into such the, a shit. the Spirit yeah. Awards once again. <laughs> um, once theaters reopened, the original theater requirement was that it has to have at least a week's long run in Los Angeles. In the okay. theaters, I didn't know it was specifically that. That's what it was. You had to have your film showing for at least a week in Los Angeles. In LA, going to ex- yeah, specifically. Uh, they're now expanding Why? that to allow. I suppose that's where the, that's where it's all based. Like that's where they're. Yeah, but that's uh, not where everyone that's on the Oscars panel is. 
Yeah, it also means that like if you're a little film that can't get yeah. international distribution, you're not eligible for an Oscar. So they've now expanded it, so you're now going to be eligible if you get your run in Los Angeles or New York, Chicago, Miami, Atlanta, and Atlanta. <laughs> right, okay, so... Oh, and the Bay Area. I don't know what that is. Is that San Francisco? Yeah, that's San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's that's that. Right. They firmly believe that there's no greater way to experience movies than in the cinema. I kind of agree with that, though. So to some degree, I kind of see how... Yeah. I, I like that they're trying to make sure that film... That cinemas stay around and they're supporting them in that way, but it's still every single thing they do somehow comes across as a bit pretentious. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I think this is going to be my second last news story. Wink, wink. Right. That's a good tee up for me. Yeah. Uh, you might may or may not have. So let's put me in, what coach. I'm isn't this? I'm ditching, <laughs> ditching my jacket. I'm warming up, shaking it out, ready to go. I got um, one. Oh, fuck. No, I'll, no, this is the third last oh, one. I got found another one. All right. I'll sit down in a bit. <laughs> yeah, yes. Sorry, bro. Back I got on the another, super, I got another super sub. Okay. Um, we may still be, so I'm really straight from Empire. We may still be waiting for that long promised twins follow up where Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito played twins. Yep. Um, but writer, actor, writer, director Macon Blair is working on something that Variety has heard is in the vein of that original 1988 movie. He's written it and will be, it'll be called Brothers, starring Josh Brolin and Peter Dinklage in the lead roles. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's not, we don't know anything else about it other than that. Right, it's not a remake, a remake or a reboot as far as I know. But that's that's a, that's funny. Right, that that's like a that's like a one line pitch, like Josh Brolin, Peter Dinklage, brothers. Yeah, All and right. they'd be like, is I'm it in. is it related to the film where they already did that in any way? Yeah. And the yeah, answer like, like, at the moment oh, is a like, big guy and a little no, <laughs> it's not same director, but no, <laughs> unrelated. Oh, I don't even know if it's the same director. I just, it's a very deceptively written article. Oh, okay, uh, right. How's this for a second last headline? Just a quick one. Apparently, Ron Howard is making a movie about those Thai Thai soccer team boys that were stuck in the cave. That's right. I didn't know Ron Howard, but I heard that a movie was in works. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, that sucks. Do we need a movie about that? No, Whatever. We don't. M- MGM has acquired the rights to this Ron Howard directed Thai cave rescue movie called 13 Lives. Tells the true story of something that happened less than two years ago. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's like 127 um, hours. The dude, yeah. The, oh, it's, it's longer than 127 hours. It's like 18 months, bro. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Because it's longer than 127 hours. That's almost. 500 hours. <laughs> this this uh, Thai cave movie is written by the same dude that wrote Gladiator. Mm, okay. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that. Gladiator. That's pretty good. That's a good That's a good one. Um, uh, so, Ron Howard, for those of you coming out, playing at home, also directed uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. A, yeah, and a he Star directed Wars, Apollo, Apollo 13. Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, which is actually a good movie, and The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons adaptations. There's a bunch. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good director. So, okay, well, hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's good. Yeah. Um, I actually, I've had, I, I was oh, very confident that he I had a- acted in Osmosis Jones. Fuck, that's so weird. I don't know what the fuck's most. <laughs> Do you remember that animated is? movie about the uh, blue guy who is like a cell in someone's body? <laughs> He's also like no. a law enforcement agent. Fuck, okay. When we're done, Google Osmosis Jones. It actually just got released on Netflix. So you that's can watch wild. it for yourself. <laughs> okay, I, I have a little bit less faith in my last... I thought I was going to have a last headline that's an absolute screamer. Real cracker. I think it's actually not that good. So I'm going to leave you... 
Sight unseen, I'm going to trust that your headline is good enough to be the last headline, and I'm okay. going to read my headline here, yeah? <laughs> okay. Uh, I have complete pressure, faith in I, you. It better not you. be an absolute stinker. Yeah. This is my last. So just know, if yours was shit, this was going to be the last one. And this <laughs> okay. is pretty good. Okay. Tom Cruise, man who does his own stunts, is in early talks with Elon Musk and SpaceX to make the first movie in space. Yep. You're nodding. Was that what you had? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> And you asked, now this is a little peek behind the curtain, you asked for a clue of what it was, and I said, space station. And you were I like, oh, it. that's not what I've got. What the fuck? Well, this, there's nothing, nothing about a space station I in said this. space first. You just said the word yeah, SpaceX. Like, what the I said fuck space? are you talking about? And you were like, oh, space station. And I thought, no, nah, this isn't about a space station. I've got a completely oh, no, I'm different about, space I'm talking about story. the company SpaceX. That's obviously not the same story. You fucking they don't idiot. A, they don't, SpaceX doesn't have a space station. The NASA has a space NASA has a space station. Tom Cruise to star in movie shot on International Space Station. NASA it doesn't confirms. Say that. It doesn't say well, you are Tom reading Cruise. a shit article. <laughs> it, NME doesn't say it's going to be shot on the space station. Well, this it is. Just says, <laughs> so, with our powers combined, uh, we can put together this new story. <laughs> all right. Well, that was my new story. Andrew, what's your new story? Final I headline. Here we go. Don't have one. <laughs> no, that was it. Right. Read your headline. As, as it, uh, uh, Okay. Andrew, I have no idea what your headline could possibly be. What is it? Tom Cruise to star in movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shot on. <laughs> now wait for it. <clears throat> the International Space Station. <laughs> Comma. NASA confirms. That's not fair. Have you got some sort of exclusive? The enemy doesn't have the information on where at, in space. It's just it ABC. Fuck. I cannot believe that you were like, nah, it has to be a different article <laughs> related to movies <laughs> involving space. You huge dipshit. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I thought that it might be it, but I thought I'd let you go first, right? But and then, then you fucked and up then the, the news. During the news, I thought, oh, actually, maybe this fucking Elon Musk bullshit. Andrew doesn't like Elon Musk. Maybe this isn't going to nah, be a you very second good guess story. yourself, bro. It would have been fine. Anyway, none of this is making it in. So, yes. No, that was brilliant. Tom Cruise is apparently working on a movie that will be shot in space. Now, um, I'm assuming that this is the next Mission Impossible, but... Uh, also, I, I feel like Mission Impossible would be keen to get the branding out there and clout about this. So, who knows? Maybe it's not. The other That'd thing is, cool. um, there was, if you recall, one of the recent Mission Impossible scenes had uh, that extended skydiving sequence in it. Yeah, that um, was the most recent one that with, right. uh, with uh, Superman in it. <clears throat> so, he's already done, like I, I suspect, like a halo jump, like high altitude, low orbit type stuff. So, I guess it's just kind of the next step. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's crazy. I'm kind of pissed that like <laughs> Tom Cruise gets to make this human achievement, but um, <laughs> but sure, I guess. Uh, Tom Cruise is fucking cool. I'm I, I love him the more I watch it. Well, yeah, it, look, he he makes quality entertainment. I'll give him that. I think he's a awful yeah. person, but yeah. Uh, if is I had he? to, I don't know. Most Hollywood people are egotistical. Yeah, have you heard about the whole Scientology thing? Oh yeah, he, no, like, he is. Yeah, takes yeah, yeah, awful yeah. advantage of people. <laughs> yeah, like a other than th- I, yeah, I thought chronic you were like, emotional abuser. That. Right, sorry. No. <laughs> other than that, I'm uh, sure he's a nice the, no, guy. Other than the cult, and the emotional right, abuse. Yeah, there you go. Um, 
Anyway, so yeah, uh, I guess yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, I suppose. Oh yeah, he's also actually he actually flew fighter jets for Top Gun Maverick. So I guess like he spent a lot of time filming shit in the sky already. Like I said, it kind of seems yeah. like the next logical step. This also strikes me as like. I feel like we're blowing our load too fast in terms of like where we go and and what we try to achieve in films because like after we filmed one film on an international space station, there's there's never going to be another first film that's filmed on the international space station. So literally, the next thing we can do is go to the moon and have it be be filmed. That is the next thing that Hollywood has to do to break the bar of like. W- what is being done in this film? And it's well, I like bet they're second guessing themselves at voting you you to make the rules, but that's that's. But you know right. what I mean, though. Like, the, yeah. if we from now on, it's a thing that all movies could go to could be in space could, and could be in space, to. and they won't be the first one, right? And so the next thing that needs to happen in order to set that bar even higher is, I, I think, the moon or like further out than the I ISS, think it's. I think it's bull. I think it's bullshit. I think this isn't going to happen anytime soon, if only because Elon yeah. Musk's name is on it and he comes out with a lot of bullshit that never ends up happening. Like, oh, yes. oh I'm going to build a submarine and he doesn't. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to d- donate 100 billion fucking ventilators. And yeah, exactly. It. Like all billionaires, it, 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 he's totally he's like, full of shit. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm going to fucking send, send Tom Cruise to the, to the space. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not, bro. Right. I feel like, no, um, yeah, I feel like he'd be in a lot of trouble if Tom Cruise's name wasn't already kind of on this. And also the guy that, the guy that tweeted this out in the ABC News article that I'm reading uh, is Jim yeah. Bridenstine, who is the NASA administrator. So this is, and he says NASA's excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. That's exciting. So I actually think there's a lot of legitimacy to this. When it'll happen, you're right. We have no idea, but um, yeah. But yeah. How about we take this opportunity to launch into beefness or pleasure? Let's do it. It's beefness or pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Beefness or pleasure? Thank you, Andrew, once again for that ridiculous music. Um, <laughs> is a segment where every, every week we 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 dedicate a significant amount of our time to a very serious beefness of the show, which this week is uh, watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We had mm-hmm. to read and everything, so yep. my God, was it a hard graft? <laughs> that was but, uh, um, taking care <laughs> of beefness. <laughs> I smell a new theme on the horizon. <laughs> That's the next um, one. Yeah. Uh, but you know, sometimes we have some time to kick, 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 uh, take take our socks off and chill back on the couch with a milkshake and a bowl of pretzels, and we like to watch something that we want to watch, something something a bit pleasurable, for on our on our own time. Something yeah, uh, a little for you, a little for me. That's exactly right. And a little for no, I got nothing. Um, <laughs> and a, and uh, what we're we talking for about the with listeners. the. Speaking of Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, just this past week, I watched Mission Impossible oh, yeah, 3. That's right. You did. Because I haven't seen very many of them, and you've famously seen all of them in one <laughs> yes, week. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched Mission Impossible 3 because I already saw one for the show, I yep. think. I hadn't seen any of the others, and I knew that 2 was terrible because you told me it was terrible. So You'd I skipped seen that one some of the three. newer ones, but not, not gone back. 
I've seen the most recent one and the first one and nothing in between. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I'd never seen any of them right. other than those two. Right. Um, I watched number three. I liked it. I, th- I thought it wasn't wasn't as good as that newest one. That newest one was fucking fantastic. We unfortunately, three, yeah, the, you're suffering from like going backwards in this lockstep mechanism that I was just yeah, describing, well, uh, where the stunts yeah. aren't going to be as impressive. Well, I thought that number one was like a almost like a classic action movie where you're like, yeah, it's 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 a bit cute, but it's not amazing. Mm. But then number number three was like a it was like a fucking Mission Impossible movie, man. Like he had the huge sequences and set pieces and like gunfights and this the one that's the one where he jumps over a sky he jumps from one skyscraper to another one. Right. Well, much more of an action movie than the first one. Yeah, huge, hugely so. Like it, it looked like a big production. Mm. Uh, I'm keen to watch the other ones because I think there's one where he climbs up a building, and there's the, uh, one where he climbs on the. He's like on the plane as it takes off. I'm, I'm keen to see the other ones now. There's um, one with then, and this is the one that I was wondering if it, I think Mission Impossible Five has like this big underwater segment that's very impressive. Yeah, um, have you seen pictures of the places where they film those? There's like huge fucking indoor tanks of water that are so fucking deep. Uh, yeah, where they I'm, film shit like that. I'm assuming they would have had to do something like that um, for this one because yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. Oceans. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Crazy the the money that you get when you've got a budget of like 100, <laughs> 150 million dollars or three hundred million dollars or whatever. I suppose for two hundred million dollars, you could just go to space. Yeah, exactly. It would be like. It'd be like filmed on a fucking GoPro or some shit. But well, you just have yeah. to... Yeah, these these movies... like It's the same reason that Interstellar furthered scientific research because of the funding being so much bigger than any research would normally have. Yeah. Like, NASA has to probably get in rooms and like physically fight people to death to get any funding because they don't <laughs> generate any money for the economy. So, like, like... You know who we should get to be doing this fight to the death for us? <laughs> right. Tom Cruise. Well, uh, they're just like... <laughs> a movie studio comes along and is like, oh, we'll build one of those rockets. In, it's in our budget. It's like 5% of the budget. And they're it's just like... It's like the Kip Thorne thing with the black holes sick. in Interstellar. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's yeah. that thing that I said. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe that's it. Trump's not giving NASA any money, so they get their money for fucking Time Warner. Yeah. Okay, so so you liked it? I thought it was I thought it was good. I I, th- I think I'd give it like a three and a half. I thought it was good. Okay. Um, and it's encouraged me to go and watch more of them. But like, I w- it wasn't like edge of my seat, huge, mind blowingly like best action movie I've ever seen. Which I think that newest one, Fallout, probably was. I think they get that was a spectacular. I think the movie. new ones get better as they go along. So I'd recommend well, going. This in was on good. Like this was good. Three, four, and five, and six. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Cool. Um, but but the, the, that was just reminded me the main bit that I watched this week because I watched Memento. Oh yeah, Chris- okay. Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors. It might be like a normie fucking lo-fi favorite director to have as far as it goes, but I'd never seen this one before. Memento was made in the year 2000. It was released in the year 2000. Whenever the fuck. About 2000. Stars Guy Pierce as a detective with um, basically and, short-term and memory amnesia. loss. Yeah, he has short-term memory loss, so he can't form any new memories. And um, yeah. After the accident that killed his wife gave him this head injury that means he can't make new memories and he has to go and find the person that killed his wife right okay and it's a lot of a lot of the fun of the movie is like watching how this guy survives every day like he has tattoos of all because he used to be some sort of investigator or something so he has tattoos of all the main clues that he's established right like he knows he knows it's a man so he has like fact one your wife is dead and it was killed by a man. So he has to wake up in the morning and be like, no, oh, my wife's dead. Fuck. Right. Um, <laughs> Jesus. And he has like a, he has like a, like a, 
a poster he brings to every hotel room with him with a photo of his car and a photo of the hotel he's in and like a photo of his friend. Like, this is your friend. His name is Ben. Shit like that. Jeez. <laughs> um, it's good shit. But the, the, the most interesting part about the film is because this film, maybe everyone knows, but for if you don't, because the movie is about this dude that... C- so he wakes up no, every day. No, and every no like no spoilers because I'm going to watch it at some point. Yeah. So this isn't. I mean, this isn't. A, I'm not going to spoil it. No. Okay, but, cool. So it's yeah. like he he forgets where he is like every two minutes. Yeah. So yeah. there are sequences that have gone on for long enough where he watch him like like he's running away from a dude, and then in the middle of running away, he's like, "What am I doing? Am I chasing that guy? Oh fuck, he's chasing me." Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. And so, so because of that unsettling aspect where this dude never knows where he is at any point in time, like he'll walk into a hotel room and then forget why he's there. Right. It's um, very disorienting. Christopher yeah. Nolan wanted to give the audience that aspect of disorientation. And so the movie is edited together in reverse chronological order. So That's each right. scene, yeah, each scene um, starts with something, starts with a cliffhanger, and then the scene plays out. And then it cuts to like a, a separate sort of timeline. And then when it cuts back to the next scene, it shows something else crazy happening that gets him to the point, gets gets him to the start of the scene you watched 10 minutes ago. You just ago. watched, yeah, yeah. So he'll be getting in his car and then driving somewhere. And then the next scene you see, he'll be watching him doing Walk something to his car. and then getting into his car. Yeah. Right. Um, That's and cool. And so it cuts, be- it cuts between a long monologue of him on the phone with someone that's in black and white. That he, he has like a half an hour long phone call that stretches, that's edited together in sequence in five minute clips throughout the movie yep. it cuts to this, this long phone call scene with um, the out of order clips okay and it's great because as an audience member you're watching it being like what the fuck's happening what the fuck's going on who is that who is that in the same way as Guy Pierce's character is right it's the best example of a movie that's been put together in such a high concept way that complements the experience of the movie like that hmm. does that make sense yeah, yeah because every single the one the first scene you see is one of the last scenes in the movie kind of chronologically or whatever. Right, and you don't know what, and what so it means until you see You don't end. know who anyone is, just like he doesn't, but by the time the story's played out, like some of these characters that you meet for the first time have met this fucking guy like a hundred times and he's introduced himself for the first time every single time. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of that where he'll be like, hi, I'm Leonard, and they'll be like, yeah, bro, you, I met you yesterday. How you right. doing? <laughs> yeah, it was great. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I love cool. Christopher Nolan. This is another example of a movie that's a bit mind-bending and a bit... Um, high concept. He plays with time said. and high concept, yeah. And I think it's really, really worth watching. And I'm glad I watched it. And I'm sorry I left it for so long. I watched it on Amazon Prime, but I think it's on Netflix. Okay, right. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go in on that at some point. It's good shit. It's definitely one of those movies where I had to think about it and sort of <laughs> read up. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and yeah, I want to yeah. go back and watch it again. Right, okay. Sounds like one of those movies that would benefit from Just multiple, because of the way multiple it's, views. It's, it's told in reverse order. There's some shit where you go like, oh, that's where that thing happened an hour ago. Right, yeah, cool, right, great. Right, and right. you know you would have missed some shit. Did you watch anything this week? I did. Uh, I watched two um, other movies. Uh, I watched <laughs> uh, Princess Mononoke, the uh, oh, I've studio, been to watch that. studio Ghibli movie. Um, yeah. I'll be brief because I feel a really like dark one. people have got it. Yeah, so it was MA rated, which like I didn't realize Studio Ghibli even did that type of shit. Um, so there's like people getting their yeah. arms and limbs cut off and shit. Oh, it's pretty, wow. yeah, it's pretty wild. I've only ever seen Howl's Moving Castle and Spirit of the Way, so it's more intense than those. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Fuck tone yeah. is similar, I guess, to like uh, uh, yeah, Howl's Moving Castle, you Spirit of the Way. I, I watched another one called uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, and that's kind of about a climate apocalypse, and I feel like there's no like 
I think that's rated M or something. So there's not nearly as much like violence, yeah, right. but the themes are a lot more dark. This is very much like a high fantasy style um, man versus nature, like wild beasts and um, warrior culture and that type of thing. Um, and it's a bit about, I mean, he, his films tend to have a fair bit of like environmentalism themes in them. And this is very strong on that. Yeah. Um, basically, humans are uh, attacking wildlife and uh this like the the forest and kind of the gods of nature so that they can um gain access to natural resources um like avatar brother take advantage of it yeah i suppose uh, it's pretty different to that um but like <laughs> because there are kind of like these big god figures and the main character are they about nine feet tall are they blue no oh i smell a lawsuit Um, no they're like giant (laughs) giant boars and stuff um (laughs) but it it was pretty interesting uh i had to watch it in two parts across two nights and i'm not really sure that that helped the experience i don't know it was okay it's definitely not my favorite studio ghibli film it's a lot of people's favorite studio ghibli film it is yeah but also spirited away is and i didn't enjoy that one nearly as much as other people seem to either. I'd give it like maybe three and a half out of five. Um, yeah. It was a pleasant experience and there's a it has a decently decent potential to resonate with people a lot more than it resonated with me, I think. I just wasn't particularly compelled by it. I didn't have a strong desire to like keep watching it after I stopped watching it the first time. So when we finished it, it was like, okay, cool. I'm glad I've watched the whole thing, but I would never watch it again. Whereas yeah, I'll, okay. I'll watch House Moving Castle again. Um yeah, so yeah, right. it's interesting. It's got really cool representation of like a lot of Miyazaki's films like draw on like Japanese folklore and um, uh, mythology, I guess. And so there's a lot of that in there. So he's a fucking hack is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Hayao Miyazaki famously never come up with uh, an original idea, always rips <laughs> off his shit. Famous uh, famous hack. How yeah. does he get his ideas for his stories? Nice. Straight out of the fucking phone book. And when uh, yeah, when he was in kindergarten, he used to copy work off other kids and it got worse from there. The other kids being uh, ancient mythological folktales. So, yeah, um, pretty good. But, you know, yeah, it is what it is. Can you lightning round another one? I can. So, the other one that I watched was Mother um, by Darren Aronofsky. That's a movie a lot of the people one with hate. Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Jennifer Lawrence and yeah. Mexican guy Javier Bardem. Is um, that on Netflix? It is not. I watched it on SBS on demand, so it's still free. I gotta get on that. Um, yeah, it's it's a great service. Really, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of movies are on there that are, are fantastic. A lot that I really that are, that are on like my watch list, and also a lot of uh, really great international films. So it's definitely so, worth having a look through. Mother, Mother, what kind of is it like a thriller or a drama? Okay, or? so um, it's another really high concept film. Um, basically, the the I guess the premise is like um, a husband and wife live in this house together. The wife uh, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't really have a, a career, but the but Heavier Barton plays this writer that's got really bad writer's block. Whereas Jennifer Lawrence's character built the house that they live in. So she, she's made, I guess that's been her like kind of thing that she contributes is like she builds. She never shuts up about how she built the house. Oh, well, yeah, and yo. she feels a real sense of ownership <laughs> over it. And so she always wants to keep working. And, and, and I guess that sets up the dynamic that's kind of a through line for the rest of the film, which is that she has put herself into them where they live and their relationship. And yeah. he is very preoccupied with his creative pursuit, his writing, right. and his... Um, 
he becomes really obsessive. Um, I'm going to really quickly spoil this movie, so we'll give a time code if you're not if if you're really interested in watching it, um, then go for it. Uh, but otherwise, like skip maybe like three or four minutes ahead. Um, okay, so I did not really enjoy this movie, and I've heard a lot of people don't like. This I movie. really like Black Swan, which is the previous Darren Aronofsky film that I've seen. He also did Requiem for a Dream. Um, there were some aspects of it Darren that I Ofsky. really really liked, but overall, I thought it was a really uh, like. I thought it really missed the mark. The reason is it's an extremely high concept film in that it, uh, so it's revealed, I guess, over the course of the film, if not immediately that, um, heavier bottom's character is meant to represent God. Jennifer Lawrence's character is meant to represent planet earth or kind of like Gaia, like the earth's energy, I suppose. Okay. And then, uh, Ed, uh, Ed Harris is he the guy that plays the? It's the black hat guy from from Westworld. West, yeah, from Westworld. Ed Harris shows up with his wife, and they're meant to be Adam and Eve, and then it <laughs> well, goes Ed through and fucking Diane. Yeah, and then it goes through <laughs> like kind of this rapid fire uh, hits of human history. Right. Uh, with like religious significance, I guess. So like, it sounds kind of heavy-handed. Like you're saying, that's Adam and Eve, and that's overt, God, and that's and it's like Cain and Abel. Um, you know, like Noah's Ark type shit. And so what happens is over the course of the movie, Jennifer Lawrence uh, puts gets no return from putting herself into this relationship and then she becomes pregnant and every part of herself um, ends up getting taken advantage of by Heavy Bardem as he refuses yeah, right. to prioritize his relationship with her and their family over his fame and his creative pursuit. And so right. I guess it's meant to be like God abandoning the earth and uh, humans, the effect that humans have then like ruining earth because they eventually, and this is the massive spoiler, they eventually steal the baby that she has and kill it accidentally. Um, right. And he's, he betrays her because he promises that he's not going to give them the baby. And then he does. And it's, it, obviously, like she's she doesn't start the movie pregnant, and she she becomes pregnant halfway through. So, like that gives you an illustration of the time scale that things go on in. Yeah. So it's not meant to be grounded in reality at all. It's really just meant to be this metaphorical subtext. But it sounds like you can watch that and be like, "Great," but what's the point? There's no text. There's no real storyline other than this metaphor. Hitting the beats of this fucking biblical thing. Right. And it's an interesting concept because it all takes place in this one old-ass house and there's, like, at one point, a war breaks out in the house with, like, actual soldiers and shit. It's really interesting the way that it's filmed, but uh, in terms of an actual enjoyable experience to watch, uh, it really missed the mark with me. I wasn't looking for the religious significance, so by the time that I realized that that was the case, I'd already missed all of the cues from the first part of the movie that were kind of important to set that up. But it, it should stand alone without you having been like, oh, but didn't you notice the, fo- no, the neighbor was it Noah is and shit like that? Only like, like that. a good movie. Yeah, that's yeah, stupid. Yeah. So that's it, it really didn't have any. And the other, the thing that, that the worst part of it was that it meant that there was no character development because the characters were only meant to be these like symbolic pawns of whichever 
character they were meant to be. Yeah. So Jennifer Lawrence never really grows over the course of the film. She was also not cast particularly well because she is someone like hung, her Hunger Games character, for instance, is like someone that's really she has a lot of agency placed upon her and she can push back against these systems. This is a nightmarish movie where she is forced to be passive the entire time. So a lot of the time she's just screaming. It's a decent physical performance. Yeah, right. At one point she screamed so hard she cracked a rib. But like, yeah, I just didn't <laughs> So she she's putting a lot into it, and she really gives it all her all. Heavier Barnum's good. The performances in it aren't bad, but really, I just thoroughly did not. Uh, I thoroughly did not enjoy that it had no over the top of the metaphor storyline, no actual text really yeah, right. stringing all of the subtext together to make me give a fuck about any of these characters. And it felt yeah, more I like mean- it felt more like Aronofsky was doing it to to kind of like. Uh, see if he could. Show off how much he knows about bi- the Bible and shit. Yeah, and I think he thought that people would enjoy it. And, like, I guess if you were really, <laughs> really looking for that, then it's enjoyable, but it just wasn't a particularly enjoyable narrative film. So, yeah, I would give it, like, I my initial rating was, like, maybe a 6 out of 10 or, like, 3 out of 5, but I reckon I'd give it, like, a 2 out of 5 just for, not for how well it's made, but just for the enjoyment that I got out of it. Maybe even less. Well, that's fair. And we've spoken about that before, about the idea of the most irritating, lo-fi, least insightful discussion you can have on a film. I'm ready to do exactly this. <laughs> um, is is just like, oh, and this character is Jonah, and this character is the whale, right. and this character right. is... It's like, yeah, what do you mean they are that? No, what does that mean in the story? And What are they saying? Like, yeah, yeah. For that to be as far as you can go and just be like, oh, I guess he's saying that uh, Adam and Eve are... are like, oh, shut up. Like, the greatest level of subtext that's there, uh, the, of text that's there, is obviously that Jennifer Lawrence is a mother. That's, that's like, it. She has a... Oh. She, she gets pregnant no, and dude, has this baby. No, dude, she is the... Yeah. Right. And so it's like, well, that, it, that no, fuck that's that. not a character. You know, really, that's like a symbol and uh, it's just not that interesting. So, like I said, a well-made film that I think just didn't come off. I'm n- I have no interest. Is it nice to look at at least or something then? A l- <laughs> <laughs> not not enough to make it worth your time, in my opinion. It's enough other than if it's been, if it's nice been on your at. watch list, I'd, I'd really, for anyone listening, like I, I would thoroughly deprioritize it. Yeah. No, I've had no interest in it and you've just steered me off it completely. Yeah. I don't even think it's like a film genius film. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I think it's like, I think just most people won't won't enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, is it time to get into the main attraction then? Yeah. Speaking of film genius films. (laughs) All right. Cool. So, this week we did uh, a portrait of a lady on fire directed by Celine Cuba. <laughs> yeah. Um uh what are the names of the actresses that are in it? Adele uh, something something. Adele Hanel and uh Naomi, I think it's Naomi, but like Naomi Merlant. I don't know, they're French right. names, so who the um, fuck knows how they pronounce it. She's worked with that Adele lady on several films before, this director. Yeah. Um Naomi uh I think it's the first time that she's worked with I think Celine. it's one of her breakout roles as well. Yeah. Um so the the the, the quick Quick synopsis of this film is... And there's like three set, There's like three characters in this movie. Yeah, so wrap your head around set, those and then that's it. It's set in like one... It's like on an island in a big house. In 19... Uh, sorry, like 1700s Brit- Britannia, which is like a French yeah, like isle. Brittany. It's Brittany. Brittany, yeah. sorry, yeah. So it's set in the 1780s, I think, in Brittany in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's like tricorn hats and petticoat dresses and shit like that. Yeah. Um, essentially... There is a 
aristocratic type family that's basically just a mother and a daughter and the mother is going to marry the her daughter off to some Maltese rich dude or whatever the fuck. Italian, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But before you do that, you send the, the husband to be like a portrait of his wife to be. Right, so he doesn't have and to so, come and see her in person. He knows what he right. looks like and he's like, yep, that one will do. Yeah, she's hot, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, that rules, man. Um, I wish we still the, did that. It's good shit. The caveat is that... So, so the film is essentially uh, Marianne, played by Naomi, whoever it is, yep. um, plays a painter who has been commissioned to paint a portrait of the daughter... Eloise. Yes. Um, Eloise does not want her portrait painted because she knows that the portrait's going to be sent off to some dude that she doesn't want to marry. So um, the mother has learned this in the past through several painters that she's gone through who haven't been able to paint the painting because she won't sit still or whatever. So the idea is for this that Marianne is going to go there for a week, pretend to be like a hired friend to be Eloise's friend because she's lonely in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. And she'll be her friend and hang out with her during the day. And then at night, in secret, she'll paint this portrait. And so right. that's that's the film. The whole film is... Well, I mean, it's, there's a, a lot more to it than that, but that's the premise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it starts with like a future scene and it flashes back. But essentially, that's the main premise for the film. Is uh, a woman is painting the portrait of a woman who doesn't want to be painted. Yeah. That's it. And I mean, like, I guess spoilers for like 20 minutes into the film... The rest of the film is really about the budding relationship between those two women. Yeah, and how they become closer as the film goes on and about right. how the relationship between the painter and the subject um, uh, changes the dynamic of their relationship in several ways. It's really it's a, right. mostly a romance movie, it's a drama movie, but I don't know about you, but I think this was the most... Ingr- this film feels quite slow on the outset. Like I think uh, one of my housemates walked in while I was watching it um, and we were like, and we had to be like really quiet. And you were like, I'm not and doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, bro, is this the movie with armpit puss? Fuck yeah. And at the start, they were like, oh, is this, this seems very quiet. But then they sat down. But the more you get into the movie, the more completely engrossing it is. Did you find that? I found it really tense. By the time I got to the end of the movie, I was really tense and all drawn in. Like I, I, it would I have been jarring to um, go from this to like Mission Impossible, but this movie was so enthralling the whole time I was watching. I, it, I think I it's excellently paced. Yeah, I think that the yeah. um, the pacing of the story is wonderful. I think that um, the only thing this lives on is the relationship. The, like the pace at which their relationship develops, that is like a critically important thing to get right in the script and in the edit. Yeah, and they really, really did. Every moment, every scene, um, changes their relationship somehow, fundamentally moving forward in a way that's either good or bad. Um, and you care about that relationship. So every scene, you care about the effect that that's going to have on them. Whether it's like yeah. bonding in this time of like really kind of like pure enjoyment that they have with each other or um, being mutually angry at their context or even like arguing with each other sometimes and, you know, sort of dealing, dealing a bit of damage to the relationship sometimes. Um, yeah. It's all really, really, uh, it all serves to further the plot, which is basically, uh, yeah, the, the, the relationship between the two of them and, yeah. um, the secrecy that needs to occur in order for uh, Marianne to conceal the fact that she's a painter from uh, Eloise um, 
so that she can sort of achieve this overarching goal of hers. Yeah, um, so it starts off um, lots of beautiful... For a start, actually, I thought... So the very, very first scene is Marianne years later as like a painting teacher. And right. she's teaching a class of students how to paint portraits. And she's she's posing as the model just for the sake of like teaching these people how to paint portraits. Yeah. Um, and she's telling her, like, look up, use this, don't do this, do this. Um, uh, and then one of the students as like inspiration digs through the cupboard and finds this portrait that you find out later was one of the portraits Marianne had painted on her like week or two with Eloise. And yeah, she's like, I w- what's that? Where'd you get that? And she's like, "Oh, should I have not gone?" And my point is, I, I was never clear on if that actually got painted when oh, maybe not, they were no, together. I like, think she might have painted it later, but yeah. inspired by that experience, right, yes. yeah, it was yeah, 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 a painting like of Eloise, kind of. Yeah, sure. Um, and I thought that was such a cool scene. That scene could have been its own little short film. It is really neat. Yeah, just like the what is that? Oh, it's the port. It's portrait of, and the portrait is the portrait of a lady on fire. Right. Um, and I thought it was a really clever way of introducing the sequence that it references later in the movie. It was, and yeah, attributing, giving it some context, yeah. And it attributes so much more significance to that moment later on. There's a moment later on where someone catches fire. Right. <laughs> and it could almost it could almost be... Um, It'd be comical if you didn't know how significant it was yeah, to her exa- character. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a funny moment, but because it was referenced and almost like... Uh, teased earlier in the movie when it happens you're like fuck this is a moment this that is she that moment is so important for her right. that she's been thinking about this every day of her life or she's been thinking about it enough to fucking paint it she doesn't necessarily know in the moment that it happens how important it's going to be to her but you yeah. know because of how significant it is to the story that clearly it's had this fundamental effect on her and I think yeah. it's interesting having the context for that been set up way beforehand and then move forward and, and have it kind of like come up and it, it's it's this really beautiful like payoff that comes halfway through the film. Yeah. So much of the way this movie is structured is perfect like that. The way it sets up different things that seem innocuous and then have perfect payoff later. It's really, really well written. It's so well written. And I feel like this is a perfect example of a film where someone says a film is well written and I think, oh, the dialogue wasn't that great. No, no, no. This, the, is, this is like not about the dialogue. The yeah, structure exactly. is really, really excellent. But even the dialogue too, like I, I wrote down one conversation that I just wanted to like, this This might be a little bit too in detail, but we'll see. I wanted to, to, to t- like use one of the conversations that they have as an example of how it goes to further the storyline and characterize the two women. So it's yeah. a part where um, uh, it's it's early on um, between the two main characters, and so they don't really know each other very well. And Eloise says she's never heard an orchestra, and uh, Marianne. She's like, Eloise is like, what does it sound like? And Marianne's like, I can't describe music with words. Like, it's just not really possible. She's like, well, what does it, you know, what does it feel like? And so it's kind of started off with her, um, it starts off by establishing her like lack of worldliness. And so you've got this one character that's sort of being a bit naive and this other character that's got this experience and wants to show that to her. So Marianne goes and sits down at the piano and the whole thing at the same time as establishing that naivety dynamic behind them is is flirtatious. And so you get there, yeah. the dynamic between them is built up, the romantic tension between them is built up as well. And then she plays this piece, uh, which is 
part of Vivaldi's storm, which becomes a I didn't motif. pick that up. Um, right. <laughs> initially. It's one of my favorite pieces of classical music. So I was like, fuck yes, I, I really want this to be significant. Yeah. And it, it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she starts playing it on this harpsichord in the room, which then lets like Eloise come up and sit next to her so they can get like physically closer. And then Marianne can't remember the rest of the piece. And so she's like, oh, I'm sorry that I can't kind of show you this, but the good thing is the city that you're going to go to and marry, to this, marry dude this dude in yeah. <laughs> is the city of music. And so you'll be able to hear the rest of it there. And it'll be this really great thing that you can experience. And so Eloise is like kind of heartbroken that she's ripped out of this kind of romantic moment that they're having to be reminded of the fate. But the only way that she can hear the end of the piece is by kind of like fulfilling her, this this situation that she's in. Right. And so like, that isn't exactly how it plays out, but, um, it's this really great oh, characterization great. Really, yeah, of like right. it's a how great it, scene. it starts off with them talking about music and it characterizes them as it goes along, but brings it right back to the fundamental conflict between them at the end. While you've learned something about both characters, every scene is like that. Maybe they're not quite as yeah. like uh, explicitly like kind of, uh, you, you can't highlight exactly what it's doing quite as well as that, but like every scene is as propelling and as compelling as, as that scene. And it, I, it, it is not just the dialogue, you, you're correct. It's the structure of how they interact that yeah. is great throughout. It's a perfect, it was a perfect example for me of a film where um, writing is more than just the dialogue. The writing is like the structure of the story right. and about the function of individual scenes and the function of individual lines and things like that. Um, music is a huge part of this in the fact that it's absent for... The, the whole movie, there's basically no yeah. music. Like, there's a, there's a little moment where she's on piano, for example. Um, and that's such such an important part. There's another bit where they're down by the fireside with a, a gathering of women from the local village and there's a chant. I think there's no non-diegetic music. Any music you yeah. ever hear is, like, in it's the moment the that they're in. Here. Right. Yeah. Um, and the director in an interview I watched said that she did that deliberately because Eloise stuck in this house in the middle of nowhere longs to hear music and longs to be a part of, cause that's like a representation of her, like a, her integration into a greater society and a greater culture. She feels kind of isolated. Yeah, um, totally. A lot of the, all of the sound in the movie is so like, <laughs> it's almost like, um, like what's that? like ASMR level shit? Where like oh, right. um, <laughs> the fires like often in scenes, crackling other than when and people aren't and stuff, yeah. yeah, when people aren't talking, all you can hear is like the crackle of a fire or like breathing, and it, it's really intimate. It yeah, there's a really lot of um, there's a lot of like little readjustments of people's skin and hair and things that it picks up. Yeah, um, that they're intentionally leaving in there because like if two characters are lying next to each other, those are the sounds that you hear when you're that close to someone. You're right about yeah. the intimacy. It really builds. Like it's so that. loud. It's like, like when, like when you got your head on the pillow and your head rolls, moves across. Yeah, the fabric, exactly. You can hear, yeah. Like when there's scenes of the uh, Marianne painting Eloise, you can hear like every scrape of, and every brush stroke on the canvas. I love so those great. moments too, especially when uh, there's a few moments where you start off with a white screen and it's, smeared or broken or um yeah where they do like like a first wash of this charcoal moved across it or something and you're like fuck that's such a satisfying moment when a white canvas gets the first mark on it like man it's just it's almost like um 
hedonistic, the way it like enjoys and relishes that moment so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really cool. I, I think that uh, and I, I have heaps of stuff I wanted to talk about. I think some of them I can get into without being too spoilery. Right. But there's some stuff where I feel like it's good to go into this movie sort of sight unseen a bit. So if you, if it sounds like it's your bag, I don't want to. The more the more you don't know, the more the better it is to just go in. I'd say. With that right. said, um, one of the one of and the like things it, that you reminded it, me. In with, case you're going to bail now, I loved yeah. this movie. Uh, me too. I and think I it's think one you of my really favorite, loved it One too. of my favorite movies. Yeah. Right. So I guess we um, can elaborate more on that later. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's but just, if you're at all on the fence about watching this, yeah. fucking just do it. Just go I feel like the it. more I... Yeah, I, I paid like $5 to watch it on... Oh, seven bucks uh, on Am, yeah. Uh, yeah, Google Play, yeah. Um, I, I know, I'm just worried that the more I gush about this movie, the more I'm going to give you tell you about scenes that I think it's more fun if you have it. If you don't know about it. Right. So um, hopefully you've watched it. But yeah, let's, let's just say we're going to yeah, talk about the plot now. Yeah, okay, cool. This is the spoiler warning. Yeah, right. spoilers. Um, All right. We're at an hour of recording time. Yep. I'm trying to write this down. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, true. So I always forget. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. So uh, the first thing that you that I was thinking about when you said this scene where she's playing the piano or the harpsichord, whatever the fuck it is, um, and it's this beautiful moment where they're bonding about music and she's thinking about all the music and he's excited about that and then it becomes bittersweet when she is reminded of the fact that she's going to have to marry this man in order to be exposed to it right it was something my housemate brought up about the idea that there are all these invisible men throughout the movie <laughs> that have all this yeah they have all this power and all this influence over the women's lives and they're never there. So you've got the painter, for example, Marianne, who um, says that she's not allowed to paint men. Uh, uh, she's asked, Eloise asks Marianne, yeah. um, do you Do you paint, paint nude still- models? Do you paint nude models in like a cheeky, flirtatious kind of you way? Ever seen goes, a yeah. dick? <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, I do, but I'm not allowed to paint men. And they go, she says, why is that? And they go, well, the more if I get to paint men, I'll be more practiced at painting men, and then I'll become like a classic artist who's really skilled. And all the male painters of the world don't want female painters to become very skilled. Right. So I have to paint men in secret. Yeah, and she's like, it's it's not frowned upon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's those men in her life. The maid, um, you you find out later on in the film is pregnant, has become impregnated. French Arias Tuck. Yeah, by a man that is. Yeah. She looks so but much the, like Maisie Williams. Yeah. But the man who impregnates this maid is never spoken about yep. and is never present to deal with all the fucking bullshit that she has to go through to try <laughs> oh, and yeah. give herself like the A most 1780s intense, like, abortion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the most full on emotional experience for all three women who have made it their problem because the dude who whose problem it is isn't there. Um, yeah. And then of course Helene oh I keep saying Helena because I wrote her name wrong like Eloise, yeah. times in my notes. Um, yeah, Eloise. Eloise. Um uh, has to be married to this man she doesn't even know. And so there's this looming presence of uh, the men throughout the whole film that I really liked. And I think it was a good... The feeling it gave me, the sort of eerie kind of feeling it gave me is a feeling I think that it was the, one of the first times I've ever had that communicated to me in a movie like that. Yeah, and uh, like it, it's, al- it's almost... It, it's so effective at like completely omitting any type of male presence from the story that there's one I think there are two men in the whole film. Towards um, the end there's a dude they walk into the kitchen and there's a dude there and you're like yeah, yeah yeah. And that guy gets I think maybe a word or maybe like two lines maximum or something yeah. like that. I thought that was so fucking funny because imagine landing that role. <laughs> yeah. You're like this movie is going to be pretty huge like I think this yeah. might be my big break. <laughs> 
They're like, well, technically, you're the leading man. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you're the guy with the yeah. most lines in this movie. Yeah. I thought I just thought it was so interesting that the presence of men is felt throughout the movie. But in the same, and there's no actual presence. It's like this commentary yeah. on like how these women's lives... Um, like the the women that are trying to live their own lives and not just be stuck as wives, and women are trying to be artists, and uh, how their how their lives are suppressed in ways they can't control, and in a completely completely dominant way throughout their whole lives. It's an effective way of um, representing the patriarchy without having to have it enacted by men. It's like I, yeah. it's just an effective rule set that these women have to live by. It's not some yeah. bad dude being like, "You have to submit to me now." Yeah. Even even just that the whole my housemates and I were thinking like why do you think it is because we all watched it together we were talking about it for ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, why do you because we are talking all these there's all these very clear different things like they talk about the Greek myth of Odysseus and Eurydice or Orf- Orpheus um, I think. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Orpheus and Eurydice. Um and that's, ve- that's a very clear reason why they bring that up, I think. And so it's obvious. And there's other bits where it's like, why do they do this? Why She paints the same painting twice. And it's like, why do they do that? Well, I think it's obvious. But then we thought mm. for a long while, why is it you think that they have the whole sequence with the abortion in there? There's like a whole subplot where... Um, Sophie after the, the mother of the house, yeah. After pregnant. the mother of the house goes away, and this painter has like a second chance to paint a painting of Eloise. She paints another uh, first painting in secret by sort of stealing glances at her face and trying to take sketches of what her eyes look like and shit. And it doesn't look Which that good. I want to come back really to the idea of the gaze yeah. later, but yeah, we can, yeah. But then she gets this second chance after the mum goes away, and they're sort of all the, all three women are sort of friends and just hanging out and having a good time, and they're agreeably making this portrait all happen together. Um, but then the maid is trying to get this abortion throughout it. And it's this whole subplot where it's a very emotional sequence of events all the women go through. And I, I was kind of wondering as to why you think they included that. Because the only thing I can think of is maybe the idea that it's just a it's a female experience that's never depicted in cinema. Yeah, I think it goes to build the female solidarity between women and kind of show how I, I feel like there's this there is this phenomenon that happens where like because we never really embrace learning about female reproductive processes and female reproductive rights in broader society, and like we're still yeah. not fucking there, that women just have to deal with it outside of public eye really. And often it's much more acceptable for women to deal with that collectively than it is for women to be public about that so i I thought it was kind of representing that um that sense of unity that where all women are like even if i haven't experienced this specific thing i've experienced something very similar that i had to treat in a very similar fashion um it's bullshit that you have to deal with this but at least let's help you to work through it and we can kind of like i said be you know have this sense of solidarity while we're all helping each other kind of that sorority not in the bullshit way um, yeah, I know, I thought it was so good, and it really. Right. Yeah, I think I thought it was effective, but it was the one thing in the film where I thought if it wasn't immediately obvious to me what connection it had with the story, and I liked thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I what mean, that's what I got out the, of it. Yeah. What the were idea you of the, with gaze. the gaze? Because I have a similar idea about perspective and memory, and it it all kind of works together. I think. Right. So I guess there's this phenomenon in like cinema that gets talked about a lot, especially in like. Uh, film theory, which is the idea of like the gaze and more spe- G A Z E. By the way, <laughs> this is a, this is a film about both kinds, ga- of, both <laughs> kinds of the gaze, <laughs> the gay agenda, yeah, um, the gaze agenda. 
Um, so this is a Fuck film yeah. about so there's the ma- the male gaze is the one that I think has been studied a lot more because a lot of cinema leading up through the past century has been um, men's uh, perspective and objectification or subjectification of women. Um, and sort of, and what does that mean specifically? There, for those that don't know, is that, is that just like the women in tight outfits and things and stuff like that? It's not that simple. It's just, I guess, it's about how. Um, I, look, I'm going to speak off the top of my head. Here. My understanding no, was that it was how women are depicted in movies where the movies are all made by men. It, yes, exactly. It is, and and so I guess the idea that is the the idea is when you are um, when when a woman is depicted through the male gaze in art um they are used as objects most often sexual objects for the pleasure of male viewers and so i guess in in its most simple format that would be like if you have a well, i'm going to use a bad example here but let's go with it anyway like if you have a a club scene in uh, a mafia movie but it's a strip club scene and the only women in that scene are strippers and we get like shots of their bodies as context and then yeah. it moves straight past that. It serves no narrative purpose. It serves no. It's this. It's completely unnecessary, other than I guess to contextualize the location. But like the the entire point of that really was like, kind of like that fan servicey male kind Let's of like so sexual satisfaction. In the movie, right? Yeah. You want titties in your movie, um, and so like the male gaze is. I think I think I've just summed up the the male gaze really well there. Um, <laughs> sarcasm, but yeah, uh, it basically. This is playing with the idea of the female gaze and obviously, sorry, the reason that's significant, the reason the male gaze is significant is because it is uh, in, it used and derivative of male oppression and the patriarchy, right? And so when you have the female gaze, it's interesting because the power dynamic between the man and the woman disappears and you have an uh, effectively an equivalent power dynamic between women and other women. And so this idea of like this sexual objectification kind of changes when the subject is no longer a, a, an oppressed person in that relationship. And so yeah. it, it, it becomes this objectification from a perspective of equality. And they talk about that in the movie as well. They literally they say do. Eloise yeah. went in a convent and she liked the idea of the equality. Equality is a nice feeling. You I know. think she says or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I think the idea of drawing it back to the actual film and out, out of the theoretical, I think the idea of having a film that deals with the female gaze, like a romance movie about lesbians, right? But then setting it in this context of a painter and a subject is really genius because it forces one of the characters to be constantly staring at the other person in a, yeah. in in a way that means that they cannot be observing them doing that, so they have to yeah. be unaware of the observance that's going or the observation that's going on, and it also gives you a great filmic excuse to have a shitload of close-ups of really interesting parts of the female body, and hell yeah, um, brother, kind of like fuck yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, bro. I mean, this film opened and it was like a nude woman smoking a pipe, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is exactly yeah, this is the my type kind of, film of movie." Turn the subtitles off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> settle in, boys. Uh, probably watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire with the subtitles off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just paused it on the armpit bit. Um, the uh, armpit. yeah. So the um, 
the idea of like just yeah having that that as you say the relationship between a painter and the subject and the relationship between two people who are romantically invested in each other um it's just something that that really is kind of like marinates and develops over the course of this film and yeah. uh, it, it is shot in a way that truly reflects its subject matter in that you spend a lot of time just staring at these people's faces, especially. There's so many scenes where there's action happening, like they're playing cards and getting very engrossed in the game and the shots are just on the faces of the two women the whole time. Yeah, never so on it's never it has on extreme like portrait style of, of shooting, um, which yeah. I think is really interesting because I actually wrote down like this note of... Um, the film kind of has this filmic equivalent of being portraits of these two women, and I guess Sophie the maid to an extent as well. But their skin looks so smooth and perfect, and all the colors are so vibrant. Right, this was actually shot digitally, so it wasn't like it was on a film camera, and it's really crisp. It's really, really beautifully shot. Yeah, um, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to have the the filmic tone of a period piece. It's meant to be like. You are there at this point in time as a human in these characters' skins, observing these other people. Like you can see, as you said, their skin looks really, they, they look really smooth and kind of like perfect. But also, yeah. you, you really notice like tiny little aspects of their features and their mannerisms and stuff. And they're so fascinating. The performances in their faces yeah. are so interesting to look at and sort of. Not in a not in an academic sense, but just a study to sit there and like satisfyingly look at, um, is really wonderful. Like, I got the same I type of thing from like big screen. Right. I mean, I was watching it on a on a decent sized screen in front of me, and I'm really, <laughs> but I'm really glad about that because I then I yeah. started watching it on my phone actually, and I was like, nah, you know what? I I really need to watch this on a decent screen. I would have been so upset if you would just watched this. Whole and thing I'm so glad I did because it also like because it's shot in such high res with such like wonderful cinematography. Not only are the faces beautiful, but all of the landscapes and the compositions are really lovely. There's so many interesting textures in this old yeah. fucking house that you can you're, you're eyes just like wander around the screen in the same way that I think they wander around paintings that would have come out of this era. Apparently um, that house they just found as is. They were looking for the perfect house for ages and that house was like half of it was done up and the other half was like, oh, we have this back half that just hasn't been touched for two oh, years. Right. <laughs> see that? And they were like, we'll, yes, uh, please. We'll go in that one, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really beautiful movie uh, in terms of the visual so matter that you're looking at almost constantly. Um yeah, I mean, uh, it's really beautiful. I don't. I'd love to be able to talk more on like the the academic themes of the female gaze, but truthfully, I'm like woefully ill-educated on it. I looked up a bunch of like video essays, but it's quite a complex uh, feminist theory. Um, at least the male gaze is. It, it also ties in quite directly with a painting theory, a theory of a theory of portraiture, the, the theory of about yeah, right, the theory of the observer and the the, the artist and the subject. Yeah. And so it's all kind of interwoven like that in a very complex way. Do you want to talk about the ending and about this whole um, Orpheus thing? Yes. Okay. So I think it'd be interesting. I real all I when I saw this movie, all I wanted to fucking do was talk about that Orpheus shit. Right. Okay. That's so do, should I see if I can give it a quick summary? Well, yeah. I was just gonna say one more thing. Um, that on the pacing note, now that we're like into spoiler territory, they the yeah. first time they kiss is an hour and twenty minutes into this film. Yeah. So like. Truly, one of the best things about it is how slow and um, sweet 
the development of their relationship is over the course of it. Like it's, it's truly, it reminded me of like, it almost took me back to eras where I like formed those types of relationships where you were getting to know a person <laughs> like that. And like, yeah. you, you know, there was that like that wonderful energy where someone is, someone is looking at you and they're really looking at you and they're really interested. They're as interested in just sort of taking you in as you are of them. And it really yeah. captures that energy so well. And it's wonderful that they managed to do that for so long, of the, so much of the film's runtime, without ever giving you any real physical intimacy. They have, well, like, physical contact, I'll, but it's not intimate. And a lot of it is a bit of a tease between the two characters, because the first... It is. It's she's a dance for about two weeks. Do. Yeah, she's there for about two weeks. And the first week where she paints the first portrait, where she's keeping it secret that she's painting her, she's constantly looking at her and staring at her in that exact way, but as a painter. Right. And, and she and talks so about, like, a, you have to notice the way that uh, a woman's cartilage lines up in her ear and that type of thing. Yeah. And so you'll get these, like, extended cuts of her staring at her, her ears like, as she's walking up the stairs ahead of her and that type of thing. Yeah, she gets these body. little like fragmented sketches of like little parts of her face. But right. that's um, and then the, the, when when Eloise finds out um, before she lets her paint the second portrait and says, "All right, I'll sit for your portrait." Right. Um, when she finds out that she's a painter, she says, "Like, oh, that explained all those glances. Then that explained right. the, way, the way you were looking at me." And uh, you um, can tell that she she doesn't want it to have explained all of that. She needs there to be that other level yeah. of like romantic interest, but she's also angry and she's hiding yeah. behind that that defense of like well I guess that's why you were interested in me right it reminded me yeah. have you ever seen the the way that this film takes that female gaze and the love between those characters reminded me and I, I'm keen to hark back to the um, Orpheus and, and Eurydice yeah, yeah. and the ending we're gonna go long I want to talk about that a little bit sure but um, the uh, do you, have you seen V for Vendetta yeah do you remember halfway through that movie there's this letter that's read by i think it might oh, even be the master 10 years ago no. okay th- he reads this letter and it like it uh fully pulls you out of the main storyline and puts you in this relationship this same-sex relationship through this letter that's written by this woman and she she describes this process of falling in love with this other woman and she talks about what she really loves about this person. And one of the things that's, that's stuck with me forever is that the thing that she loves, the, thing, the first thing she notices about this woman is her wrists. And she just ta- <laughs> des- she describes the way that this woman's wrists look. Or this you, is the you, second time you've mentioned wrists to me today. Oh, it is. I talked about... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. I talked about those fractures. Um, Better keep my long sleeves on. <laughs> my God. The, um, <laughs> but the... This reminded me of I don't know why it just captured the same like tone and energy of um, the 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 thing that you notice about someone being something that other people might find totally innocuous, but you are just completely yeah. uh, completely taken and completely enamored and obsessed by this part of this person's body that and, every part yeah. of them is so interesting to look at, but one thing just sticks out to you. I, I, I don't know why it conjured such a strong image in my head, but that was one of the most beautiful moments in V for Vendetta, and it stuck with me for a long time. And, and you sort uh, of get a similar vibe in this, was like you? someone pulled that out into an entire two-hour film. I really, I really almost, loved that. I almost love the romance of this film. I read a, I read a, a comment of uh, someone that we follow that does another podcast where he said he didn't like it as much because he didn't quite understand how the attraction could, w- why 
the painter was attracted to Eloise. I, I think you but have I to almost have like such it, little empathy to be able yeah, to say but, something like that. But I almost like it in spite of that. Like even if you accept, right. like, yeah, sure, I don't get, I don't get it. I love that she gets. I love that the painter gets Eloise, and the painter is obsessed with her, and is so in love with her, and so in, in enamored by her in this way where you can almost just, even if you don't, even if you yourself are not in love with Eloise, you can love that Mary Mary. Marianne is in love with Eloise. Well, and also, like, give a shit about Eloise's perspective and care about, uh, like, it, to, to not care about either of the characters enough to care about the success and their romance is 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 just crazy. I feel like there's you, there's so much of an empathetic platform to sit on for this movie. Well, that's what I mean. It's fun to that's what you you saying the thing with wrist reminded me. It's fun to watch these people be in love. And enjoy their love, even if you can't yeah. understand it yourself. You understand that that it exists, and that's enough. Um, yeah. This Orpheus thing, I think, is Which really is completely contrary to what I said about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But that was because yeah. I didn't care about <laughs> I didn't care about either of the characters. <laughs> we got him. We're doing that again next week. <laughs> yeah. um, about to get people rappelling through my window and arresting <laughs> me. <laughs> um, He's right so there. He the contradicted obvious... himself on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So the, no, the obvious thing. The worst crime. <laughs> he, um, the three women uh, during the second week are having a, dis- a very heated discussion over dinner one night where oh, they're it's, reading it's this. <laughs> they're reading uh, Greek myths and they're reading the one about Orpheus. And I hadn't remembered it. That's the one where Orpheus's wife dies. It's some Greek Eurydice. myth. Eurydice, yep. Uh, Orpheus, Orpheus's wife Eurydice dies and he goes down to Hades and convinces the king of the underworld to give him his wife back. And he says, yeah, sure, you can have your wife back, but on your way up through the tunnels of Hades back up to the li- land of the living, she's going to be following behind you and you're not allowed to look back at her. And if you look back at her, she's going to be banished back. She's going to fall back into Hades forever. Right. The only way you're going to get her is if you go through all those tunnels and just trust that she's there and wait till you're back in the land of the living to look back at your wife. And he's so in love with his wife. And it's... Well, we don't get any of the context. What actually happens is he looks backwards right before they exit the cave. And she just is fucking banished straight away. She falls straight back, yeah. And so the conversation that the three women have is that they, they each have a different perspective on why Orpheus might have looked back. And especially yeah. Marianne says um, he well, was Well, Eloise so says it's not logical. He knows, she I think, knows I think that Sophie if she's there. Says that. I think One Sophie says, says it's not, she's not logical. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any logical sense. Why would you do that? You know that if you look back, you'll, you'll fall. Right. And she doesn't have, he doesn't have any logical reason to do that. And Marianne brings up this idea of um, he, didn't make the, he didn't make the lover's choice, which would have been to understand what you have to do and carry through it because then you get to spend your life with this person. He makes the poet's choice and he chooses to uh, remain only having the memory of this woman that he loved, the romantic ideal of this woman that he loved, instead of actually to be with her. And then uh, Eloise says, well, what if she called to him and said, hey, look back. Yeah, Eloise says, "What if she? What if she said, turn around?" Right. So Eloise brings into the story this idea of like, well, what about the female agency? What if I it, thought that was yeah? And it's, it's really interesting because it's like it, it's not it's not about it's not so much about being like, well, what if the woman did something wrong? It's like we it, the story just doesn't consider the woman's perspective in the matter at all. And yeah. 
it, yeah, I, I, it's 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 a very complicated like thematic conclusion to come to, and I'm not really sure that I've like figured it out in its entirety. But well, um, it, it's linked yeah. to all sorts of different things. So, so the, uh, Eurydice saying "turn around" is of course her choosing to fall back back into Hades and not wanting to be with this guy. Right. Um, the maid, remember Eloise's sister who died. Yeah. The maid the maid says she was walking along the cliffs oh, yeah, with yeah, the sister yeah. behind her and, and all she of a sudden call she out. No- Yeah, all of a sudden the sis- all all the maid was walking along the cliffs and the sister behind her and all of a sudden she realized the sister wasn't walking behind her anymore and she'd fallen off the cliff. Right. And so Sophie and looks Mary- back and the sister is down below and has fallen um, off. Has taken the choice to fall down to her death. Right. And someone says, "Why didn't you look back?" And Sophie says, "She didn't call out." And that's what oh, yeah, no, that's what leads th- Sophie to conclude that she killed herself. Yeah. How, how do you know she jumped? Because right. Fall, because she, she, she how do you know scream, she didn't yeah. fall? And it was like she didn't yeah. scream. Right. Yeah. Which is, I guess, like yeah, thematically, the idea that she made this choice because she would have said something or done something differently if she wasn't yeah. making that active agency based choice which is really it wonderful i totally it also forgot about mirrors that. yeah it also mirrors that myth, the myth in such a close way totally, that it gave yeah. me ch- it gave me chills as soon as i realized it like because it, it reminded you of the the active choice you have to make to jump off the cliff like that um i, I didn't even i that, didn't put together the the idea of sophie and the sister walking at, at, with the yeah. eurydice thing I, I totally forgot about that that's really cool it does that two more times with this right. orpheus and eurydice thing where one character Character is willing, literally willing the, another character to turn around. Mm. Where there's two characters, where and it's like a power disparity thing as well. Um, there's, there's right at the very end of the movie, um, Marianne is leaving for the final time. Yeah, and she's walking, she's walking out the castle door, and she hears a voice that says, "Turn around." And she turns around and it's Eloise in the wedding dress that she's just been sent because the portrait is complete. The portrait's um, complete. She's being... The, the man has accepted her as, as a bride. Yeah. yeah. She says, turn around. Um, right. And that's like her making the choice for that the, to the, be the, the final... The third time just clicked. I didn't think about that either. The third yeah, time. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The f- the f- that's the final image that um, Marianne we think is ever going to get of Eloise is yeah. her up on the stairs looking down at her to the front door in her wedding dress. And she's had, Marianne's been ha- almost haunted by that image yeah. a couple of times over the course of the film where she's... That's what I decided it is. Yeah. It's like flashbacks through her memory to that. Yeah. Because this is kind of a reconsider, like a retelling almost of the story. She's not telling anyone explicitly, but she's remembering Yeah. It. And so, assumedly, when she gets those flashbacks, she's she's remembering the times where she made those choices to either keep walking and leave someone behind, leave Eloise yeah. behind, or to, in the, in the first case that it happens, to turn around and walk back into Eloise's room. And yeah. that's the thing that kind of, like, really sparks their physical relationship. And she's haunted by this guilt, this painter who's painted the portrait that's, like, signed her... What, sealed the deal on her being sent away to marry this man she's never met and have this yeah. whole another life she doesn't want. She's the one that painted the portrait that made it happen. And she's been right. haunted by this guilt. She's been seeing ghostly apparitions of Eloise in the wedding dress in the middle of the night when she goes to get a, a drink two or three times throughout the film. 
and it's really creepy and kind of otherworldly. And I think it is. It's like and a, the, the, the lighting like, like is not natural. It's not just that she's standing there. No. It's like she's standing in this black doorway and nothing else is. She's so bright and nothing else is illuminated. And then she just like fades and disappears. It's, it's really chilling. Like, yeah, it's really yeah. chilling and spooky. And it took me it a while is. to sort of think that it's it's a yeah. It's her in that moment being haunted by that image, and in her memory because it's it's the whole story is her telling it. And recalling this whole thing, right. her memories are kind of jumbling together, and it's this, oh man! And so then the, so final, the time final time in my masterpiece is right at the very end of the movie, right. one of the greatest endings of any movie ever, um, I think. Uh, so you, th- after we see uh, Marianne walk out the door of the castle, it flashes back to her and her painter studio talking to her students, yeah, um, and. She says, like, uh, and she's been like, so she's been clearly been dwelling on this story the whole time. And she's been thinking about, like, the last time she saw Eloise was on the stairs there. And then she says, well, actually, I only saw her one more time. And there's mm. a couple sequences where you see she goes into that gallery and she sees a new painting of Eloise. Right. And that that's really heavy. I love that scene. And so then there's a there's yeah, one the, final the, scene. The sensation, it's so hard to describe, but, like... Uh, th- um, the thing with the book that I don't want to. Yeah, that, that was no, no, that was but good n- shit. N- that was great. But what I was just going to say is, um, Naomi <sighs> Merlin, the the woman who plays Marianne, has such an expressive face. She's got these fucking huge brown eyes with yeah, she's like, like Lady Frodo, the most insane like rings around them. How much of those are called? They're called limbo. Those are glass glasses. Limbo, bro. limbo rings is what they're called. <laughs> the, these rings are yeah. dark rings around your irises, and it, um, they just make her eyes look so otherworldly and she's so interesting to look at um these two people are so beautiful you see her face so much her looking so much right exactly when she's painting and so like her reaction to seeing that painting is as powerful as seeing the painting itself yeah she sees a painting of eloise back in the present day uh with a kid and she looks visibly older and it's Oh, it's so beautiful. And so it's, it's, it shows a couple times where she's been thinking about Eloise. The portrait of a lady on fire, the portrait she paints, is another thing of her thinking about this time she spent with Eloise. And it's been right. really ruminating on this, this relationship that never worked out. This forbidden thing that was never meant to be. And the final scene of the whole film is her saying, I only saw her once more. And we're in the theatre, we're in a big opera hall, and the song from Vivaldi's Four Seasons starts. And Eloise is sitting in the box, which was the piece that Marianne, they were playing on the, on the harpsichord. Which yeah. is the, which is this, the piece that Marianne was playing on the piano, saying, "I can't describe it. You, you'd, lo- you, I know you want to see an orchestra someday. Someday you should go and watch this song." Yeah, like, I'd love to do that. Um, and you get to watch Marianne watch Eloise listen to Vivaldi's "Storm." So you don't know whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, yeah. but Eloise is burst. She bursts into tears. She's so and wrapped by it. Yeah, and you don't get to see Marianne looking at Eloise anymore. You just get to look at Eloise, and the narration says, "And she never turned around and saw me." Right, because you, in another movie she would have turned and looked, and they would have been reunited. But that just yeah. doesn't. 
That just and doesn't both happen. Clearly, been ruminating on it. We, there's a clue in the portrait that she sees later on that shows that Eloise has been thinking about Marianne every day of her life too. Right. And Marianne has been thinking about Eloise every day of her life, and so to have these two people where so yeah, you, you've hopefully seen audience. it. But the idea the of the audience is Eurydice going like, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around, and you're there with Marianne being like, oh my god, turn around, and oh, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, and and and. She doesn't, and so it plays with that format of um, the the observer and the follower, I suppose, um, yeah. being twisted back in on itself a bunch of different ways and in a bunch of different configurations, and it's so beautiful. But yeah. it's not, yeah. It's it's it also isn't. Um, this film is like mostly the actual text. The subtext is just beautifully poetic. Yeah, um, I I think yeah, the subtext God, I got. Was about even the um the idea of the page number, the page twenty eight that she draws the Marianne draws the picture on that then is in the portrait as the clue. Yeah, she draws um, a self portrait of herself on a random page of the book of, of right. Eloise's book. And then in the portrait that Marianne sees, she's opened a book to the page twenty eight, so you know that she's still she's been looking at that self portrait of Marianne every day. Right, yeah. or at least yeah, it's it's of such significance to her that she demanded that this painting which you have to sit there for ages to be painted um have this detail in it. I and would love to think that she didn't demand it. In my head, the painter's been looking at Eloise and painting this painting of her and she's been and she just st- has she's been page. on page 28 the whole time. Yeah, I don't know. Eloise was such a strong character that I felt like she would have she would have demanded it in case Marianne ever sees it or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you, d- man, yeah, you, I do really feel like these people are so lived in um, that I have yeah. like strong opinions about what they would have done. <laughs> um, it really characterizes these, these, these people so wonderfully. But what I was just going to say is like that actually plays around with that uh, earlier, what you were talking about the filmic theory and the art criticism theory of the idea of the observer and the, 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 the painter and the subject of the painting, because yeah. what, uh, Eloise having the page open does is it it's it's sending a message like almost like back through the painting so that Eloise from the painting is actually observing you you are becoming the subject of the message of the painting which is yeah. a really interesting like inversion of the the art theory this yeah. film plays around a lot with that type of stuff we haven't touched on like all of the all of the intertextuality and the literary techniques that it uses and subverts and plays around with. So it's really beautiful for this type of stuff as well. I think one of the, it ties into my favorite feeling in a film is that bittersweet feeling. Mm. La La Land does that really well. It's this idea of this like, yeah, like that exact like feeling it's so bittersweet. You get this idea of this love and you lose it and it hurts. And you're watching and, and it, what, and, it's, and what could have been? You're always wondering what, what could, have, could been. have been. Exactly, La La Land nails it like that yeah. as well. I think um, this film. I think it looks a lot at the idea of: Would you rather have the experience or the memory, and what might be more valuable? Mm. Um, it looks at yeah. There's this just that for a start, and it plays around with the idea of memory, even just the idea that a painting is capturing that artist's experience and memory of one snapshot in time. Right. Um, and the, the idea that the two paintings that Marianne paints, the first one's not very good. 
and it doesn't really have the soul of Eloise in it. It's just like a fine painting of a woman. Yeah, and questionably, I guess, because it might just yeah. be more about the fact that they don't feel as closely connected as they do it, later it, on. It, it could just be that, exactly. And then the right. second painting they paint is they both like it a lot more, and I think it looks a lot more like And that they both um, add brushstrokes to it, as far as I understand. Yeah, and and it, and it captures the the week they've had. That's this lovely week of bonding and emotional connection right. in a completely different way. The, the the mother, who I guess inherited this big house from her now dead husband, says, "I arrived in this house. Well, my portrait arrived in this house before I did. And when I arrived in this house to meet my husband, I was greeted by my portrait on the wall." I love the idea of the reputation preceding you. In that yeah, way. and and the the idea of uh, the husband can fall in love with the portrait of the woman before he falls in of love course, with the woman before he's and, ever and, even had the experience of that yeah, person. And so, yeah, and so you can fall in love with someone else's experience of it, and you can fall in love with this memory of mm. someone or an rather idea. Than fall, yeah. yeah, rather than fall in love with the person themselves. And I think that idea of the, the and even one between, more one more level yeah. distance from that, it's your experience. You're actually falling in love with your experience of that person's experience because you will never be privy to the actual connection that they had. It's right. like it's like why was the Mona Lisa smiling? It's like you you <laughs> will, you you'll never know. Even if you feel like you have some sort of insight or feel like the painting is speaking to you in some way or other bullshit painting yeah. but even if you feel that way um you you physically can't know that because you weren't those two people and you don't have that lived experience so even if you did fall in love with that person yeah you, you would still only be falling in love with the idea of falling in love with that experience right yeah it's, it's yeah, this right. idea of dis- distance from experience yeah and the more i thought about this idea of memory and the way it like reverberates through this whole film the more it kind of freaked me out and i wasn't able to describe it as concisely as I want to. But I think right. the whole movie is like a think piece on memory and experience and the way in which those two are connected. Um, and, and like that that yeah. almost feels like it, it omits this huge like um, lesbian love story that's also in the film, which it does so beautifully. Like it was so wonderful to just see these two people be, as you said earlier, so in love with each other. And it yeah. feels like, it, it almost feels like on paper, if you were trying to say, Right, I want to do this movie that's like a powerful meditation on the philosophical idea of love, the philosophical idea of like memory and people choosing between like their experience and their memories of someone versus like actually being with them and loving them and experiencing them in real life. You you wouldn't have space to also no. include this like fantastic It's like 1700s French liberal. <laughs> right, this and this compelling romance plot line yeah. that is the actual plot of the film but it manages to do all of that the more that i think and talk about this film the more that i really come to appreciate it it um, blows my mind how good and how concisely and well done this movie was i, I really want to quickly touch on the performances in this movie because this film had like oh great i think f- only a few significant characters in it and really it it came down to eloise and, and marianne's performances in this film and all credit to those two, and I guess um, Celine Shama, the director as well, because the performances in this film were um, almost in- infallible. It really at no point felt like people were acting. I feel like I genuinely was allowed into this budding, beautiful love that yeah. these two people slowly came to realize was within them. Um because it almost feels like they don't know what's going on either. They just have to kind of run with it. You watch them like discover themselves. 
Right, and be like, I, I, I'm not sure I'm aware of really how this person makes me feel. And so yeah. they have to kind of realize how this person makes them feel. And that's a beautiful, really wonderful thing to watch. Um, or at least it is in this movie. Uh, and yeah, I think that just would have completely fallen apart if you weren't quite so... I mean, like that person who really didn't buy into it that we were talking about earlier, if you didn't buy into the performances and if you didn't feel empathetically connected to the characters, then this the whole thing would have fallen apart. And clearly, like, most people did, and I certainly did. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the way that... There's a lot of, like, extended cuts in this film. Like, the piano scene that I was talking about earlier is, like, all one cut um, and is quite emotionally emotionally dynamic and emotionally charged so there's real like highs and lows in these extended cuts that you would have had to you know it's like you have to end the scene crying and you got to start it not crying and like in a really quite like quite a playful <laughs> fun, and entertaining mood kind of, yeah. right and that's fucking difficult to do once and <laughs> you know i don't know i just have like this this real admiration when you see these genuine performances on screen it's a little bit yeah. like i feel like this almost was better than marriage story that kind of had a similar dynamic i think so yeah between the between the two characters yeah you're th- reminding me of um thinking about like buying into this relationship with the two characters i think that the film even just structurally does that really well by setting up the first half of this movie as this really interesting like <laughs> almost like 1700s thriller where you have to she has to work out how to paint a portrait of someone in secret and, and someone so like knocks on the door of- and she's scared she has to like yeah change quickly because she's got to hide this thing and that's stressful. You're yeah, right. and she's got it to like, hide her sketches away. And so for the first half of the movie, you're just all in on like, how is Marianne going to secretly... This. Gonna gonna like memorize the shape of her face, and so you're looking at her face, and like, how is Marianne gonna 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 pull this painting off? And then you get and to like when she sketches yeah. something, you get to compare it to your understanding of that person's face. You're like, I don't see how that's gonna come out and look like her, yeah. and then it does, and it's like, and okay, yeah. I and I think that element of it is so engrossing as a mechanic and as like a plot device in the film. Yeah, yeah. By the time the relationship starts to develop, and you realize that this professional painter knows what she's doing in terms of painting. <laughs> um, uh, you you're all in on the relationship. You're not. It's not like starting with like this woman being like, "I'm a lesbian painter out in the world looking no, for no, lesbians." No. Like, <laughs> there's really no. Like, there's like no exposition in the film other than yeah. what we talked about as a premise, which is the painter. She's that she's there to paint. That's pretty much it. Yeah, um, man, yeah. I love this movie. The more I, I, I wanted think to about mention it, the more I two, love it. Two things really quickly. One. Go on. um, Celine Schama and uh, so the the director and the actor <laughs> that played Eloise, the subject of the painting, separated from a relationship that they were in shortly before this movie started filming. Oh no! Which <laughs> just made me like revisit all of the production process in my head, being like, these two people must have known each other very intimately, and like, yeah, because I think they were together for a fair while beforehand. So that's yeah. a fucking brutal filming process. That, ex- um, that explains that 15-minute scene where Eloise talks about how Marianne's a selfish bitch that deserves <laughs> yeah, any yeah, element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the problems that she has which weren't in the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I, I can't remember the other thing, but I, I guess... Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, no, it's fine. I, I couldn't remember it as soon as I started talking about the first thing, which I really love when that happens. Um, um, okay. I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up because I think it would have made the... Um, 
the filming process really difficult for them. Maybe it helped. I don't know. It's a it's a tough yeah. one. That yeah. crying scene where Eloise is listening to Vivaldi and crying for like one whole take like, for three minutes is so amazing. Hell. You see, like, I, I'm always on the lookout now when I see someone crying in film for like, are they doing that thing where they just put drops in their eyes and then they blink the first time and a few drops roll down and then that's it? This is like, she really cries. Like, d- d- she starts off fine and then by the end of it like tears are streaming down her she eyes she looks like she's crying she's like, like someone told her her mom just died she's sobbing yeah. like she, you can see her breathing is like changing she's like just fully made herself cry she said in an interview they had to block out like a whole day for that scene yeah she was like yeah it's it's fucking intense she said they only got to do it like two or three times because it's so right. fucking intense well you'd probably be it'd be probably a lot of times she'd just be like no nope, sorry start it again yeah I, I, just, I just didn't get there it's scenes like that where I understand why Christian Bale flipped out in that movie. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm I man, I don't know what I'm not defending anything else that guy did, but like I get that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um God, yeah. Oh, the another thing that I was going to mention, this can be the second thing. It wasn't. Is this the second thing? It's not, but this is I'll, I'll make it the this second thing. This is a thing. third thing. The color grading in this movie was beautiful. Um there's a lot of it like was, really wasn't it? it's so I mean the visuals we've already talked about being really important, but like the the color palette is something that actually really ends up mattering a lot. Um, very there's a vibrant. lot of like lovely warmths in the human tones. There's some the the three characters are actually I don't know if you noticed or not, but the three characters are in the three primary colors. Marianne is <laughs> yeah, often um I think she's red, often possibly. red. And then, yeah, El- Eloise is often blue, and Sophie is often in yellow, um, and it's much more vibrant than you would you've, than we've come to expect from this time period. And I find it's often very dull inside the house, and then it's very vibrant outside. Well, there was a lot of blues in the shadows all the time, and I think that yeah. gave the house this really like cold tone because whenever there was darkness, it was blue. And yeah. you're right, outside the beach scenes and the the green grass and stuff was so so lovely. Yeah. I think that really served to put us in the place of Eloise, who found freedom in the outside world, being so so beautiful. Yeah, uh, and the director, um, fucking. Saline Shamwell. Yep. She talked about how <laughs> she talked about how like when they got to the old house that hadn't been touched in two hundred years, and it, she talked about the fact that like the blue was like ah oh, perfect, which right. I, I like when shit like that is a bit calculated. Right, right. Let's wind it up. Uh, I think so. God damn, watch this movie. Even yeah. if I don't think. I think it would still be satisfying if we spoiled the whole fucking thing for you. It's not. I think it's still satisfying to watch this movie. I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't have ruined it for myself if I were a listener, but um, yeah. So hopefully, y- y- go on, go go. Hopefully, you've skipped to the end and you'll you'll go and watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or or you enjoyed it as much as we did uh, and agree with this discussion mostly. Yeah, I'd l- I'd love to hear people thought about this. This isn't normally the sort of movie I would watch. And I think like we're, we're trying to stick to this shorter format, but I really wanted to talk more about yeah, this me one. Too. Sorry, not the sort of movie that you'd normally watch. Yeah, no. Well, the reason I watched this movie is because it was recommended by Kumail uh, in his podcast, Kumail Nanjiani's right. podcast, Staying In, which is great. And he, they were talking about like what's that about? Where yeah, that? <laughs> they, were, they were just talking about like moments where they were like getting like irrationally emotional during the week, and Kumail was like, "This is the first watching this movie like made him cry his eyes out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and made thought, me like, choke yeah. up for sure. Yeah, that was that was it. And I thought like, oh, if Kumail if Kamel likes it, I'll watch it. Right, it's been on the top of like a lot of lists. It won uh, a bunch of awards at Cannes. Um, yeah, it uh, yeah, and and it well deserved. I I understand why 
people loved it so much. Yeah, um, this 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 might be one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. You know, yeah, not to build it up, but like in recent memory, in terms of the way I was emotionally invested in it, I really loved it. Right. It doesn't feel like it does. It's it's doing anything especially new, except it is. But what it, it but it feels like it's doing what it does so well and so beautifully that you just yeah I can't help but <laughs> this but, is this is the so... Mission Impossible six of romance movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, there's a hot take for us. Yeah. So in terms of, I, I really enjoyed Marriage Story, but I think I liked this better, um, which is saying something because I really liked yeah. Marriage Story. Um, plus points for the first nude bit in the movie being coochie. <laughs> I think that rules. Uh, something that Marriage Story did not have. Um, but yeah, I think even like, I don't know, in terms of like, yeah, the relationship between the two lovers, I like the idea of, I, I think, you know, that that marriage story almost like did away with their love at, at the start of the, the opening segment. Yeah. Um, and then I it just turns into the rest of the relationship being this like um, mixed thing. So maybe it's not the best comparison. Um, yeah, I don't think you get that same bittersweet sensation of loss from marriage story. I think no. that I, I think that La 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 Land tonally is a completely different movie. Right. But I really do think that movies like La La Land and like fucking Perks of Being a Wallflower have that same kind now. of Yeah, I suppose yeah, those sorts of like rom coms have that that I really like have that same kind of well romance drama type things. They have that same perfect like bittersweet feeling of something great which has been lost forever right um that really resounds with me and i really i really like it in movies and i think this has done it really effectively i'm gonna come up with better movies after we end recording that of course this, will, yeah. this pattern but I, I can't remember what they are i know i've seen other movies that do this like yeah. lost lost love really beautifully but basically you you know you can think of examples at home think of like the best example of that yeah exactly that bittersweet like love that maybe could have been if you'd done something different but maybe could never have been and the bittersweetness that comes from that and this is yeah. be- one of the best examples of that, that that i've ever seen yeah it's truly so, so truly good. beautiful yeah that's it for the week then, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not right. a very funny episode, but not a uh, very funny episode. But it wasn't a very funny movie. Uh but I it had its moments, but yeah, I just really loved it so much. Oh, there was one fucking hysterical bit and I don't remember it now. There was one really good funny bit. <laughs> and I don't remember it. So save save it for that. There you go. If you listen to all this far, there's one funny bit in this movie. Stay for that. Don't know what it is. It was when uh it. the Sophie was like hanging from the ladder and then she falls down. Yeah, yeah, it was the bit where she tried to hang herself. It was that. No, bit. she didn't try to <laughs> hang herself. She was trying to exhaust herself to try and trigger a self-abortion, which is pretty, pretty horrible. Pretty yeah, you're funny. Right, no, it was that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm misremembering hey, it. That I was is saying funny. what you might have found funny. Okay, not what I found. Oh, you were, funny. you're I didn't in find character as me, all. right? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, exactly. I was doing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a first for everything, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's it for the week. Uh, keen to hear what you all thought of this. If you've got any movies you want us to watch, you can email us or drop in on our Facebook page. Links are all in the description there. Uh, you can email us, beefstationpod at gmail.com for any private little messages. Join in on our Facebook page and tell us what you've been watching recently. We'd love to hear it. I think that's it, isn't it? We don't know what we're going to do next week yet, but as always, if you read the description of this week's episode, hopefully we will have decided by the time this goes up what we're going <laughs> yeah. to watch next week. Yep. And uh, you can watch along with us. Yeah, we'll let you know. That's it for the week. Thanks for listening. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later.
Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Enjoy the valley.